please join me in prayer. Lord, at at this time, may your word come clear. Would you speak to us by the power of your spirit? Would you teach us? Would you not only make us hear, but help us to understand and help us to be transformed and moved out of our comfort zones and challenged and be molded and sometimes being pruned hurts. Sometimes being molded, it's uncomfortable. But God, we want to be soft clay in the hands of the potter. And we ask, God, that you will continue to form and fashion us to be the community that reflects you and your truth and your love. As you've shown us, Jesus, may we be the embodiment of Christ and his continued work in this world. So speak to us, God. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, We've been actually going through an eight-week series on core values of the church. We have a mission statement, which is to know Christ and to make Christ known. And we have eight core values that we have identified as this is how we're going to operate. And three, four weeks ago, we started with Bible-centered, that our community, the Word of God, not our opinions, not our preferences, but the Word of God guides and fashions how we live and what we live for and who revealing who God is to us. Uh, Second week, we talked about evangelism, that God has put us here, not just to be, as you might have heard before, a museum of saints, but a hospital for for the broken and and the sinful, and as we've been there once. So we are out to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not merely philanthropy, because that doesn't go enough. Through philanthropy, we want to share that there is a Savior born for you and me. That God does love us. He wants to reconcile with us. And two weeks ago, we talked about stewardship. And in a summary, it's not having how much we have or how little we have, but what we do have, how do we use it to glorify God? And today, we're going to talk about community. The core value that we have here is authentic community. A Greek word of, called koinonia, it's the Greek word for authentic community. It's this intimate spiritual community of people investing in one another so when you hear that you don't hear a church of just attendance just a place that i go to but you hear a far greater depth of this intimacy so we're going to talk about that so as we get into this um there's a there's a strange thing right now facebook how many of you are on facebook well, that's a, that's a lot of you. Okay. Well, it's, it's a fascinating read. The millennial generation, which are the children born between like 80s to now, um, they're the most connected. They grew up, they don't know what a rotary phone is. They don't know you have to dial nine and you have to wait. They're like, what is that? Um, you know, they, they're not used to having a long cord with that tangled and you have to untangle it. They all have cordless phones. Well, they're the most connected generation. And this is what one of the studies have shown. And this is from Australia, but it's consistent with the whole world. According to the Relationships Indicator Survey in 2011, 30% of Australians aged 25 to 34 report being frequently lonely, a third more than any other age group. The youngest demographic, 18 to 24, came next, with the 19% saying they are frequently lonely. You know what that means? The most connected generation in this world are actually still the most lonely. Community is not, I have a friend. People have Facebook friends, you know, 
you know, hundreds, thousands, that doesn't mean they're less lonely. And we live in a world where we deceive ourselves into thinking, well, I go to church and people know me and I know them, therefore I have community. That's not koinonia. That's not the community that God has given to us as a tool where we grow. God has given us a need. And this need comes from Genesis. And it's so fascinating. This is weird. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, this is before what happened, sin. God made Adam, and Adam's hanging out with God, and God's hanging out with Adam, and then they're, they're, they're chilling. And I think this is what God says. The Lord God says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. This is before the sin. I mean, Adam has who? He has God. And God, who is God, says, oh, he's missing something. Can you believe that? I mean, that's before sin. So what is he missing? So this is what God says. I will make a helper suitable for him. So what God does is he starts bringing animals. Hey, here's a puppy. Yay! You know? Hey, here's a zebra. All right. Here's a cow and all this stuff. And then God says, none of them were suitable. So what does God do? Puts Adam in a deep sleep. And then some people say, if you notice, God never woke him up. So men were just kind of walking in this blur. So anyway, put him in deep sleep. And then what did he do? He created a woman. Now, people take that text and say, well, that's what marriage is. And it's true. That's the origin of marriage. Having speaking of, spoken about marriage, it doesn't end there. It speaks also about community. You and I were built and designed in the image of God. And God is very relational. That's why we believe in this triune God, that God the Father does not exist by himself. He is God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in this beautiful unity of one Godness, there is this relationship of love. Some people say you can't actually love if you're the only being. Love only happens when there is something, someone else to love. And God made you and me that way. And God has made us into these relational beings. Henry Cloud, he's a Christian writer. His uh, partner is John Townsend, who happens to be the son-in-law of Bobby Braff. He's a very famous Christian author. And Henry Cloud says this, God created us with a hunger for relationship. Can we say amen to that? Just, just acknowledge that. Amen? amen? We are made for relationship. And he goes on, for a relationship with him, God, and with our fellow people. At our very core, we are relational beings. The soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. You could work with 100 people. That doesn't mean you have community. You could go to a church, have coffee, sit in the worship, sing a song, say, hi, Fred, hi, George, hi, Billy, and then go home. That doesn't mean you have community. See, community is relationship where somebody can say to me, Jason, hey, let's talk. What are you struggling with? What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? What are the good things that are happening? What are some things we could work on? And what are some things that you could pray for me? Here, let me share. This community goes a lot deeper, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk to, about that. So church attendance, let's go back to church attendance. Some of us, we make Christianity to be, I have to go to church. But what if we thought of it differently? Would you just humor me? You know, by the way, as a pastor, uh, maybe I'm a new generation pastor, 
but it's, it's funny when I see people from our church or they're like, oh, you, know, you, you say, how are you doing? And this is their response like, oh, I'm so sorry. I got to go to church. I'll be at church. And it's as if like they think we're going around saying, coming out of a bush, did you go to church? We're going to come out of their cabinet. I didn't see you at church. And, and I tell my youth group kids when I was in youth ministry, my goal is not to get you to go to church. And kids are like, what? Are you a pastor? And I say, no, I, you don't have to go to church. And they're like, what's the catch? And I was like, well, here's the catch. My goal is not to get you to go to church. My goal is to get you to know Jesus Christ because he's crazy about you. And when you know that and you have that relationship, wow, you're going to want to grow that. And that's why God has given us a church. Well, we'll talk about that. So, so he goes on, this church attendance is not this mentality of, um, do I have to go to church or I'm trying to go to church? But what if we take that mentality and call it consumer mentality where I'll go to church if I get benefits. I'll go to church because, you know, I like the message. I like the music. I'll go to church because they have this. But if they change it, I'm going to go to a different church. We don't call that a community. You call that shopping. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stay here until you please me, but the pastor ticks me off. See you later. And I want us to say something, like, that's actually consumer mentality. That's not Christ mentality. Now, if the church is sinning, if the pastor's like, you know, like, doing wacky stuff, you know, cursing, kicking old ladies, you know, uh, all right, then we got a problem here. But if they change the music, or we got to say, wait a minute, is the worship about me, or is the worship about, about God? So, that's this idea, I have to go to church, or if I do, is it for me? Am I getting something out of it? But what if we change that to this? You ready for the cool part? What if we change it from a consumer mentality to a covenant mentality? What is a covenant? Will you, Jason, take Kathy to be your lawfully wedded wife? Will you, you know, to ever love and hold in peace and through thick and thin and all that stuff? What, what am I committing to? As long as Kathy makes me happy, I will be good to her. <laughs> well, the covenant I'm making is actually, I am here and I exist for you. And you have vowed you exist for me. Covenant is, no matter what I get out of it, here's the deal. We need one another and I'm here for you. What if we saw church, not as a place where we come to worship, but a place where we could say, how can I serve and be in a community that I could help others grow and see their needs being met? That's koinonia. That makes me go to church, not because I have to, but because I want to. Because God has put me in this community for this particular time so we could be here for one another. You know, um, when we have um, the new members class and, and then we have, uh, we have uh, people joining the church, there's a part where we tell the congregation member, like, you know, um, Rob, Rob Smith or George Billy, and they, they're here, they were joining the church, and we ask the congregation, will you, the church, continue to love and encourage and walk with them? Do you remember that part? And you all say, we do, partly because peer pressure, but partly because you're making a vow saying, I 
we exist now for them. Did you realize that? It's not, all right, they're joining the church. Offering's going to go up. They're joining the church. Maybe, uh, oh, he looks strong. They've got to put him on B&G. What if before we get to that, we just simply say, I want to know your story. I want to know your life. And I want to know how I can invest because you have been brought here under this covenant relationship through Jesus Christ into this particular church. How can I pour my life into you? Wow. So there's an author named David Augsburger, and he says this. He says, what is Christian community? And he defines it this way. He, many different things, but he says this. Recognizing that Christian community is not just webbed from one believer to another, but is held firm by a central strand resolutely attached to Jesus Christ. It is no surprise that members listen to each other attentively, expecting to sometimes hear his voice as another speaks and look to each other knowing that now and again they may see his face in the other. I love that. You know what it means? Like, as I serve you and as we hear each other's story, I realize, man, your story sounds a lot like my story. We are, we have a lot more in common than we know. Would you join me in growing in Christ together? That's community. So hearing each other's story in that setting, it doesn't happen when we worship for one hour, drink coffee for 15 minutes, and then go home. We have to be intentional and say, how do we plug ourselves in? And how do we allow ourselves to be part of this community? So here's some uh, practical things. We need deep, authentic community. That's what the calling is. In Galatians 6, what Paul writes to the church is this. Don't just be church people, be a community. Right? You heard that. So first thing he says, you know, this idea of protection and accountability. It's this thought that I have given you permission to look out for me. I have given you permission to look into my life and say, Jason, there's a concern I see here. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, if someone is tied to sin, if someone is trapped, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. What do you hear there? Look out for one another. When you see someone struggling and stumbling, you who recognize that, go to them. And how can I help you? That we have this accountability. How are you doing with your internet? How are you doing with your words? How are you doing with being a father? How are you doing with being a mother? Recognizing these needs that we look out in protection and accountability. Um, I learned a lot about human body this past week. And I realized, and this vision came to mind, nothing, nothing extravagant, but I was thinking, man, if I want to be a church, this vision came, you know those dandelions, the popsicle dandelion sticks? You know, it's pretty, but then you go, little breeze, and then what happens? They just scatter. It's so, like, flimsy, their attachment. And then they, they go, ah, and they float away. And I realized, man, is that the type of church I want to be part of where we're so flimsy, we're just attached just superficially? And I was thinking, what's a better alternative? And then I realized Jesus gives it to us, the human body. You see, when a dandelion scatters, it's, like, normal. It's like, oh, that's expected. But a human body with different parts, 
when one part is cut off, what do we call that? Mutilation. We're not supposed to be cut off and flying around. We're supposed to be attached together, growing together, healing one another. And I realize when your back hurts, your whole body does everything to make it less hurt. I came out of bed, I was like, oh, and then my hand, arm, and it's just stiff, and it was like, it was just trying to brace it to limit the pain. And I, and I wasn't playing Twister in bed. And I'm like, why is my body doing this? And I realized it was trying everything to keep the pain from getting worse. Your body's wired to protect itself. It's saying, you're stupid, you're going to hurt your back more, so let me brace it for you. And I love how the brain works. The church exists for that reason. I see a concern here. I don't want you to be cut off. Brother or sister, I want you to get stronger. You need to get well. You are part of this community, and I exist to help you. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. So this protection, and the second part is community keeps us from isolation. Um, this, has, this is the one-year anniversary of Sandy Hook. Do you realize that? And I was watching CNN, and this part struck me as I was preparing for this message. And then Nicole Hockley, she's one of the mothers who lost a uh, six-year-old son. And the CNN reporter is interviewing her. And this part struck me, and she's just got this resilience. And, and she, you know, that parents, I, I can't fathom the strength and the energy and the life that they need. And uh, she said, I find a purpose, and she's working with, with community to, to, to help prevent something like this. And then he, he said something, and then she, this is how she, she responded. She read the whole manifest and the report about, about, about the one who, uh, the, the shooter and his family. And this is what she said. Instead of anger, this is how she responded. She said, it just made me sad. This could have been avoided if proper intervention could have been made. If proper intervention could have been made, if he and his family had sought help and received help in earlier stage and did not have access to open firearms, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you today. You see, isolation is what we default back to. You know, uh, no one cares, and I don't want to bother with it. I'll just deal with this issue by myself. And then when that becomes the norm, and you detach yourself from the community, that's dangerous. And that is not the design that God has given us in the body of Christ. He has said, you are the body. When you hurt, we hurt. We want to come around you. And the report said that if that family just sought help, and there's a, there's a complexity that's beyond this, but that one sliver, she's, she sees it as, in her interpretation, as what would have happened if they were able to receive this help and community said, we want to come around you. Now, you know, that's, that's, that happened. But going forward, for those of us in here, there are people in this room, you're struggling with issues all by yourself. You think no one knows and no one cares and no one could help me. And I'm saying this is the body of Christ. Jesus Christ died and rose again. Do you think he is unable to bring hope and light and help into your life? If Jesus could conquer death, can he not do all things when we cry out for him as children? 
That's community. And I don't want to just be a church that has nice worship, but we want to be a body that says, you matter, can you come? How are you doing? And let's do life together. So, so this, is, this is this whole idea, and some of us, we cover it up with hobbies and activity and busyness, but we need to stop and say, I need something beyond that. So let me, just as I'm winding down, John 13, 33, 35, Jesus is about to leave his disciples. He's like, okay, soon I will be with you no longer. Bye-bye, I'm going to go. And then this is what he says right after that, right? Their teacher for three years is about to leave, and this is the very next thing he says. A new command I give you, love one another. How? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How did Jesus love us? He lived his life for the sake of those who would crucify him. He didn't live his life for those who were cheerleaders and say, you're the best, you're my best friend. I like you. Let's hang out together. He actually went to the sinners. He actually went to those who would spit at him. He actually went to those who would crucify him. And he said, I came to serve, not to be served. What does it look like if a church community can love like that? So practical things, I'm going to just be blunt. You need to be part of a prayer community, a small group community. If you don't have one at church, we don't see it, start it up. You need to find at least one or two brothers or sisters who would meet with you and ask you the hard questions. It's easy to get, meet together and talk about politics. It's easy to talk about gossip. But you need friends who would meet with you and say, how are you doing with that struggle you're having? How are you doing how can I pray for you? How can I walk with you? That's the community. And what Paul is saying, Galatians 6, and that whole thing, and it's not even about specific community, but I use it because of that first thing. If a brother is in sin, you, who is more spiritual, will you be there to help him out? I think that's authentic community. Let me end with this as a visual. I have a friend who's a pastor in New Jersey in Tenafly. Woohoo! Yes, all by myself. And there is a pastor there for 30 years and uh, I was with her in in this conference on the anniversary of 9-11 this past year and she was sharing a story 9-11 happened there was a family who in her church the the man was in the north tower and he perished he left behind a five-year-old son and the five-year-old son didn't know much and the church went came around the family like no other in 2013, the son graduated high school, and he goes, Pastor Eileen, can I talk to the church this Sunday? I'm about to go to college. And she said, she had no idea what she's, he's going to say, but she said, yes. So he gets up, and he's this grown man now, and he gets up there, and he says, I'm going to college, and I'm not afraid. I'm about to go to college and move out of my house, and I'm not angry. I want you to know, church, in 2001, you came, some of you came to my house and mowed my lawn. Some of you baked food for us for years. I remember such and such family coming to our house and helped put up the Christmas tree. And I remember how you looked after my mom. 
And then I remember when I became an Eagle Scout, some of you came and you spoke and you said to me, your dad would be so proud. And he said, I want you to know. My dad would say, he's so proud of you. And then he wrapped it up and, and prayed and then came off the lectern. That's community. That we don't just attend church together, but we do life together. That we pick each other up. That we love those who are unlovable. That we look out for one another. And in that young man who's about to go to college without any fear, without anger, he reveals to us the fruit of a Christ-centered, authentic community. What would it look like our church we got deeper with one another in Christ would you join me in prayer God I thank you that in Christ you give us and show us love that cannot be manufactured through music or emotions or anything we could conjure up, but it's from you flowing through him, and in that love, we're able to love those who we can't love, those who we may be burdened to. But Lord, when we think of Christ, we realize we can love all people. We thank you for this community that we look at each other, and sometimes we don't even know one another's stories, and we've been coming to this church together for years and we don't know one another or their struggles or we don't share and god we just ask that we can be a church that truly is a koinonia church not only when the crisis heat hits but even when things seem quiet we could go to them and we could share with one another we could have a group that we could look out for one another because as that love is revealed the world will see and know your love God, in the season of Advent, may that be a way that we prepare ourselves, that we would be crazy, that we would be in love with one another, deepening our relationships so that we could encourage one another to grow spiritually, to grow closer to you, to grow dependent more on you. God, thank you so much for your gift of grace. I thank you that you never give up on us. I thank you that you are continuing to spur us on with your radical love. Help us to be that community in Christ and through Christ. In his name we pray, amen.